What kind of advertisement for Christianity are you? It's only right to say that some of the greatest advertisements for Christianity are Christians. But at the same time, some of the worst advertisements for Christianity are Christians too. What kind of advertisement are you for the reality and the beauty of Christianity? Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, with its six chapters in our English versions, deals with the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. And let me, just by way of introduction, show you what is said about the church and its place, its importance in the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 1 and consider verses 21 through 23. 21 through 23. The church is the body of Christ. We should be very, very careful not to lessen the church's place in the plan of God. The church is the body of Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and notice verses 14 through 17. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. The church is the reconciled. The church are the reconciled to God. People who have been made right by what Jesus did at the cross, who have peace with God. Chapter 3. Look at verse 21. The church of our Lord is the entity through which God is to be glorified. Unto him be glory in the church throughout all the ages, world without end. Chapter 4. A passage that we focused together on this morning, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. The oneness of the church is stressed. Chapter 5. Look at 22 and 23. The text says Christ is the Savior of the body. But the body is the church. Therefore, the church is the saved, those who know Jesus as Savior. Last chapter, chapter 6, especially verses 10 to the end of the book, the church is the army of the Lord. The army of the Lord. Now, looking at these thoughts proves really important because there is no way someone can be saved apart from being in the body of Christ. There's no way that anyone can be saved without being reconciled to God. Chapter 2, 14 through 17. There's no way anyone can be saved apart from honoring and glorifying God through the entity that he himself established. Verse 21, there's no way a person can be saved without stressing the oneness of the body and the plan of God. The body of Christ and the plan of God. There's no way one can be saved without turning to the Savior. 5, 22, and 23, and there's no way to be saved without being in the Lord's army, without his being your commander and chief. 
Go with me to chapter 4. How we get the oneness of God's plan out to others is important. There will always be members of the church who lack compassion. There will always be some members of the church that lack courage. We must aim for both. Compassion for lost souls and courage and conviction as it relates to what God says. Look at how the passage opens. There is a plea and urge being made by the Apostle Paul that we walk worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called. Circle the word plea or urge or pray. Whenever you see a petition in the Word of God, a prayer type statement, a plea, it's especially important. And this section of Ephesians begins a new part of Ephesians we typically call the Christian walk because the word walk is going to be found repeatedly between 4.1 and 6.9 of Ephesians. You got it? Walk worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called. If you're going to really lift up Jesus and his church, and that's what the book of Ephesians is all about, walk worthy of the calling. Verse 2 tells us how to walk worthy. Five items especially are mentioned that powerfully blend courage on one hand and compassion on the other. Notice the terms. The first one is humility. Humility. Lowliness of mind, the older translation has, I believe. And two thoughts are involved in this. The first one is this, that we recognize the place and value and preciousness of others. The value of others. And the second item is this, that we have a servant's heart. A servant's mentality. We're not thinking primarily about ourselves, but of others. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. The opposite of humility is pride. And pride will not only hinder churches, pride will hinder evangelism by churches. Secondly, what's the word that you see next? Meekness or gentleness? Meekness or gentleness? The strength under control. The opposite of this term would be assertiveness. Where we demand our rights. Where we throw our weight around. That will hinder the growth of the church and its evangelistic efforts. It's advertisement of Jesus in all his beauty. Meekness. Not weakness, but strength that's under the control of God, bringing every thought captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6. What do you see next? 
patience. Its opposite is impatience. And the word patience in a number of translations might be translated long-suffering here. And it really has to do with patience with people. Working with one another in the body of Christ, we have to be patient with one another. And a failure to be patient with one another and with the lost can hinder the church's efforts greatly. Patience, long-suffering. Follow after patience. 1 Timothy 6.11 You have need of patience. Hebrews 10 and verse 36. The next expression I think is interesting. Forbearing one another or bearing with one another. Its opposite would be complaining. Complaining about one another. It would certainly hurt the unity of the church, the unity of the body of Christ, for family members to be complaining constantly, incessantly about one another. And certainly it would hurt evangelism too. Bearing with one another. And then it says, love. The opposite, animosity, bitterness, hatred. Going through these terms, you can learn an awful lot about what it means to walk worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called. Now let me stop for just a second and put it in reverse. This morning we looked at verses 4 through 6. Let me share with you four key words to keep in mind for the 16 verses, the first 16 verses of chapter 4. The first word is the word charity. Charity. And I'm using the word in the sense that the old King James Version does. In the sense of love and its expression. Charity. Verses 1 through 3. Second key word. Unity. Verses 4 through 6. Charity, unity. Now look at verses 7 through 12. The word to remember, and I hope you will, I'll repeat these, is diversity. Diversity. And the fourth word, 14 through 16, is maturity. Charity, love and its expression. Well, we've just looked at that. In these opening verses, a word about verse 3 before we spend more time on this section. It says, making every effort, giving diligence to keep, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Every effort is to be made to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Things like pride, things like complaining constantly about others in the family of God, things like animosity and assertiveness, 
These things should not be allowed to go far in the church, else they hurt the church. And one of the things that shepherds must be very concerned about is how members walk. Walk worthy of the calling. Elders have a role and responsibility to encourage that in the church. To keep, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, a Spirit-given unity in the bond of peace. Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20, and we better be careful what we fight about in the church. Now look at that next expression, unity. If the first three verses are about charity, the idea is this. Unity involves having Christ-like character and conduct. You want to be a good advertisement for the Lord? Unity involves having Christ-like character and conduct. Now verses 4 through 6. Unity involves respecting God's plan and platform for unity. Unity involves respecting God's plan and platform for unity. One body, seven ones here. And I won't re-preach the sermon this morning, and I'll amen that one under my breath. But here we go. It does say one body. It does speak of one spirit. It does talk of one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all. And we must respect God's plan for unity. You can take these seven ones and notice that three of the seven, the Spirit, the Lord, and the Father, and God of all the Trinity. You can take the first of the seven, you not only have the person of God, you have the people of God. One body! But third, when you look at this particular list of seven ones, you have one hope, one faith, and one baptism. And that could be called the blessing of God to those who come to him. They have hope. They embrace the one faith. They've come to God in baptism. Now go with me to a third expression. In verses 7 through 12, the word is diversity. I've heard some people talk about unity in diversity as if that were a bad expression, but I tell you, context makes everything right or wrong, and in this sense, it's right. Because if you notice, ladies and gentlemen, the passage here in Ephesians 4, we have one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. All, all, all. See it, Cody? And then in verse 7, you have a distinction made, each one. 
He goes from all to each one. Blessings that all enjoy to gifts and talents that are diverse among individual members. Four are especially noted in verses 7 through 12. However, other passages indicate that there's a great variety of gifts. Some of these gifts had to do with miraculous gifts in the first century. But I think it is accurate biblically to say that God gifts and gives talents to people today who ought to use those gifts and abilities to the honor and glory of God. And they are not miraculous. Do you think that Waylon loves young people? Do you believe that Troy likes to lead singing? Do you think that Terry likes to help people that are hurting? Do you think that Tim and Joanne like to help people? It's difficult who might be hurting, but they want to try to help them. Gifts and talents. One of the important things to realize is that God gives individual Christians gifts and talents to use. He is the giver. Verses 7 through 10, Jesus is the giver of gifts and abilities. We do not all have the same gifts. That's okay. And sometimes we find ourselves having to to work in an area where we may have a little bit of talent, but it's not really our comfort zone. At Polishing the Pulpit every year, I get to counsel preachers and elders, and I'd rather have a root canal than have to counsel people. But I guess after trying this for a while, I have some ability in it, and and so they want me to try to encourage people. Okay, sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone. I I think preaching and teaching is what I'm just kind of wired to do, you know? But counseling is tougher, but sometimes you do things that are a little bit out of your comfort zone because you want to serve the Lord. But keep in mind, the Lord gives the abilities and talents... There's considerable diversity of talent and ability in the church, and no one has it all. No one has all of them. And third, gifts and talents are to be used to the honor and glory and praise of God. One day he will ask, what have you done with what I put in your care? with what I entrusted you. Think about that one. Diversity. Shepherds, listen. Sadly, this has not been practiced enough. Good elders need to constantly be plugging people in in the areas concerning which they already have great aptitude and wiring. It's in their DNA. It is in their DNA. 
If you want to help a church grow, plug people in where they really love to serve. If you have someone that loves working with young people and shows that, plug them in in specific ways to work with young people. And you know what? They're going to be on fire. Encourage them in that. You have others that like to teach. Encourage them in that. One of the most difficult things in the world is trying to stick the square into the round hole. To put people, to plug people in where they are excited will help the church to grow and it will contribute a lot to good attitudes. Now there can be a cold water committee for people that just think that's their best talent. Pouring cold water on everything. If that's your area of talent, but really is that what you should use to the glory of God? Diversity. We can rejoice in one another's differences, our backgrounds, our talents, and abilities. And like the church of the first century and the church at Ephesus, we can rejoice that it is Jesus who brings people together through the cross. Now, look at verses 13 through 16, and the word is maturity. Maturity. A sweet sister said yesterday to me, Mike, if you don't mind, could you preach just a little bit short? I'll preach just a little bit short. The Cowboys are playing, and this person seems to be a huge Cowboy fan. But we'll still get through the passage well. In 13 through 16, the word is maturity. Notice what is said in verse 14. It is said, no longer children... A perpetual state of immaturity. Immaturity. No longer children. Childlikeness is one thing. Childishness is another. Notice the next expression. No longer children tossed to and fro. Instability, a perpetual state of instability in the church. We must grow to greater maturity. Go back and look at verse 12 now. In 13 and 14, you'll see the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ the unity of the faith, maturity to being a full-grown man. Back to 14. By every wind of doctrine. Some people are perpetually ignorant. Every wind of doctrine sways them. Perpetually unstable. Perpetually childish. Now look at verse 15. And two terms are combined that reflect remarkable biblical balance, and we should always do the same. Applying them properly is not always easy. 
speaking the truth, there's the first statement, truth in love. There's the second one. Truth without love is hard. And love without truth is soft. We need both. Truth in love. The truth said with conviction and courage, with love said with compassion and the Spirit of Christ. When it comes to being an advertisement for Christianity, are you a good one where there's truth and love? Now look at verse 16. Words like equipping and edification, building up of itself in love. Words like equipping and edification and evangelism, growth, are all implied in this verse that when there is an appropriate emphasis given to the character and conduct of Christ, to the oneness of his plan and platform, to the diversity of individual gifts in the church, and then lastly, to growing to greater maturity in the Lord, the church will be better equipped, better edified, and more evangelistic. That's what these 16 verses are about. Please pray with me. God, as we close our study of Scripture tonight at this service, bless us, Father. Bless us to have more of the character and conduct of Jesus. Help us to better balance courage and conviction with compassion and the Spirit of Jesus in loving others. God, help us to stand for what the New Testament teaches about unity and help us not to give an inch, but to honor you and your precious will, to honor our Lord and Savior. Father, help us to appreciate the great diversity that exists among individual Christians and how each Christian is unique and special, and a reflection of your goodness and of the remarkable ways you bless us. Help us to encourage others in developing their abilities and their talents, all to your name's honor and glory. And Lord, help us to grow up. When we're childish and immature, please forgive us. When we're easily moved into instability, help us to hold on to the rock of ages. And God, when we're ignorant 
and the ways of the devil get too far into our own lives, forgive us and may we find knowledge of you and turn from the error of our ways. Help us to be known as people who build up the body. Help us to be known as people who equip others to better, to serve, to better serve you. And help us to be known as people who care about the lost. May your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Should you need to respond to the gospel tonight, either as a Christian in asking prayers for the church or responding to the gospel of Jesus in faith and repentance and baptism, there's no better time than now. Let us stand and sing.